Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Coomer, it's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. Indeed, it is. Hummer, for today's podcast, we were joined by none other than former Bearcat player, Armin Kirkland. This conversation blew me away, and I'm incredibly excited for folks to listen to it. Armin spoke about his experiences on the high school circuit back in 2001-2002. He was invited to the Adidas ABCD camp, which featured the likes of LeBron, Carmelo, Sebastian Telfair, Lenny Cook. Great stories about his experiences at that camp. We talk about the recent developments with name, image, and likeness, uh, how that could impact the college game and how he sees it playing into uh, college basketball going forward. We also obviously get into his time with the Bearcats. Uh, He played under Bob Huggins for his first three seasons, and you'll find that Armin did not back down in his interactions with Coach Huggins. Look, this is a fantastic conversation. I hope you enjoy it. We really appreciate Armin joining the podcast. And without further ado, folks, Armin Kirkland. We are now joined by Armin Kirkland, former Bearcat player from 2002 to 2006, currently high school coach and teacher at Canterbury Collegiate Academy in DeSoto, as well as the founder of the A-Game Athletes AAU program in the DFW area. Armin, thank you for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast today. How is quarantine life treating you? Everything's going good, man. Um, like you said, I, I teach and coach high school and uh, also run an AU program. So obviously everything's shut down right now. School's out till, you know, at least uh, next year, if not longer. I don't know. They're, they're having talks about that. But so uh, lucky for us teachers, you know, we're, we're getting to stay home, still get a check. So we're not really worried about, you know, money. Um, you know, I miss uh, I miss coaching our, our, our AAU teams. We usually start, you know, in – early April and go through July. So I miss uh, doing that. But, you know, like I was telling somebody, man, I haven't had a break from basketball this long since I started playing. You know, it was either playing or coaching since I was, I don't know, fifth, sixth grade, whatever it was. And so it's uh, it's good to have this break. Nice. Well, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to decompress a little bit and let things slow down. Do you have any kids? Yeah, I got three. I got two girls. Uh, my two oldest are girls, 15 and six years old. And then my son, uh, he's five, and he actually lives in Cincinnati with his mom. So um, I come to Cincinnati probably every two or three months to, to visit him. Oh, that's great. Well, so they're, they're keeping you busy then. You still got your hands full being, doing some part-time teaching at least. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's giving me a chance to spend more time with them as well, which is good. I love it. That's one of the silver linings of this whole experience with COVID-19 is the fact that we all get to spend a little more time, hopefully, uh, with our children, which, look, I'm desperate for a silver lining. 
But hey, Armin, let's get into the AAU program you founded back in 2010, A-Game Athletes, one of the premier programs in Dallas-Fort Worth. How has the AAU system changed since you were a participant in those programs, let's say, 20 years ago? Um, it's, it's a lot different now, man. Um, whenever I played, it was more uh, select. You know what I'm saying? It was more of, you know, the only way you could kind of get on a team is, you know, if you were really good and and uh, everybody just didn't play. You know, it was – it was just more, more select. And, um, now it's, it's, uh, you know, there's kids that didn't even make their middle school team playing AAU. You know what I'm saying? There's so many people out here playing. It's, it's become more of, um, just a hobby and, you know, an outlet for kids that just like the game to play more so than, uh, for, you know, the talented kids that are actually getting recruited. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's both. So it's, it's definitely changed in that aspect. Um, the business is, is huge. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're running a program, you know, depending on where you're at, you can, you can make, you can make it your full-time job. If you're just throwing tournaments for all these teams, you can make it your full-time job. So, uh, and then obviously, you know, if you have uh, a high major select team and you got kids like Zion on your team and, you know, you're, you're getting perks of, of that type of deal, then, it could be your full-time job as well. So it's just, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the game has come a long way, man. And it's changed a lot. And, um, I mean, it's fun though. You know what I'm saying? I think, you know, like I said, whenever I played, it was more so, um, the kids that, that were really good got a chance to, uh, to play. Now it's, you know, kids that just have a passion for the game, get a chance to, to play and, and, you know, enjoy the game as well. So do you find like the kids who are coming through your program, are they, are these kids who are intending to play another level of basketball, be it in college or wherever else it may take them, or is yours catered more to those, you know, hobby type players? Um, We have kind of a mix. I would say it's, we're in the middle. We have most of the kids that, you know, play on their high school, middle school teams, um, but most of them aren't college caliber athletes. Uh, we have a few here and there that, you know, may get a, a JUCO opportunity or like an NAIA opportunity. Um, but, you know, we haven't had any like D1 players or uh, anything like that. We've had a couple of D2 guys. Um, but, you know, I, I don't recruit. You know, I, I didn't start the program to have this high-level team where I'm, you know, running around chasing the best kids in, in Dallas, trying to get them to play on my team. Like that's, if I wanted to do that, I would have gotten to college, you know, I, but I don't, I don't want to recruit. And if you're one of those AAU guys, you, you have to recruit year in and year out, just like a college coach, you know what I'm saying? To keep those teams stacked. And uh, you know, that's not, that's not my personality. That's not my MO. I, I just like coaching. So, um, you know, whatever kids we have show up, that's who we coach and we teach them the game, try to get them as, as a, uh, as good as possible and, and hopefully reach their potential, whatever that may be. So being on the, being on the other side of, of there then, and you know, you're talking about the recruiting aspect and not wanting to do it. When you were going through that AAU process, have you noticed a, a change in the way recruiting is done at that level between, you know, 20 years ago versus today? 
Um, There's probably a little bit of change. I mean, you know, you still got to do the legwork as a coach uh, as far as going to see players and, you know, making calls and all that stuff. Um, It's probably gotten a little bit better um, for the small time, you know, uh, schools that can't afford to travel as much um, because of social media. I think for them, uh, that that is probably a little bit better. They don't have to spend as much money, like I said, is, is which the big schools, they could go wherever, whenever they want to. They have all the resources. So social media, I think, has helped the smaller schools. And it's probably helped, you know, some kids that probably would have never gotten seen to have been seen and, and got an opportunity. But, um, I mean, I think it's, it's it's pretty similar. I mean, obviously, the recruiting uh, live periods have changed. I think when I was coming up, it was like, you know, five live periods, maybe six. Now there's only like three. Um, you know, the NCAA is kind of cracking down on, you know, how much uh, – access coaches can have with schools. I mean, I remember when I played, we used to have tournaments. I, I think even UC had an AU tournament every year there. Now, you know, none of these co- uh, college campuses can have, you know, tournaments that they're on their campus and stuff. So, you know, certain things like that have changed. But as far as the recruiting, man, these college coaches, they still got to get out there and, and sell themselves, man. And, you know, that's a, that's a tough job. Is there more or less or the same amount of bag dropping? Um, I would say – probably the same i mean i mean it's it hasn't changed you know what i'm saying <laughs> and it and it's all about you know it's really all about the the environment the kid is raised in you know what i'm saying like if like for my, my situation you know i got offered a lot of things but you know i come from a family that was educated and had money and that was never um a motive of mine you know what i'm saying it was i always felt like okay i you know, I, I was going to go to the NBA um, or, you know, and I always felt like even if I didn't play basketball, I was going to go to college and graduate and stuff like that. So my mindset was totally different. So I didn't want to risk it for twenty or $30,000. But uh, a lot of a lot of players, you know, they don't come from those situations. You know what I'm saying? And every player doesn't get it. Like, like a kid like, you know, R.J. Barrett, you know, he comes from a good family, even though he went to Duke that doesn't mean he got paid. Now there might be some other kids that went to Duke that their family situation wasn't that good, that I'm sure they got paid by somebody. And that's just, that's just what it is. So, and that hasn't changed. And it's just, you know, it's just, unfortunately it's just certain kids uh, situations and, and their family dynamics, which, which kind of create those, uh, those bag droppings. Yeah. I think hearing that perspective, it does make it feel like, you know, when we use the term like bag dropping, I just used it. It is, it's a funny thing to hear and to say. Would you like to see the college game? I mean, there's a lot of talk about reform coming, right? And just letting players capitalize on big social media followings. If local sponsors want to get involved, basically making money off their likeness. Are you looking forward to that kind of change for the college game? I, I, I think so. I think they need it, man. I think, um, you know, because even when I was in school, it's like, you know, I couldn't get $20 from somebody without, you know, it being illegal. So it's just... It's, it's crazy, you know what I'm saying? And especially, you know, how much these schools are making, you know, and the, and the coaches are getting five, $6 million a year and, and the players don't get anything, you know. Um, it, it only makes sense to give give these players something because you're benefiting off of them, you know what I'm saying? Um, and it doesn't matter. Like any other job, if somebody, you know, brings a, a commodity to your business, you're going to pay them. Like, no, it's basically like, college coaches, I mean, college players are, are working for free. And I understand you get a scholarship, but that's not, you know, money in your pocket. 
You know what I'm saying? You can't spend that scholarship at Dillard's. You can't spend that scholarship at, you know, foot action or foot locker. So you can't buy anything with that scholarship. So it's, you, you, they need to get paid for, for their service. Cause you know, they do it for four years and some guys, you know, they may or may not play afterwards. And you know, the school made millions of dollars off of these 13 kids. Um, I mean, I don't know what the standard would be, but they definitely could pay the kids. So. Well, that's the thing, right? I, obviously, a scholarship is a great thing. Scholarships provide opportunities that can last a lifetime. But we also know that the NCAA tournament just got canceled this past season, and it cost the NCAA, I think, roughly $900 million. So there's so wow. much money floating around the game that yeah. it only makes sense that the players who are, who are based or propping up and providing the product for everyone to enjoy are somehow looped into this, this financial windfall. Um, yeah. I mean, my brother, he got a, you know, academic scholarship, you know what I'm saying? So he was on school on a full scholarship as well, just like I was. And if he was to get money from somebody, he wouldn't be illegal. But because I'm on an athletic scholarship, it's illegal, but we both got scholarships, you know what I'm saying? But it is, so it's, you know, they, they got to fix it, man. It's just not a, it's past time to, to, to do some, some changes. I mean, not to make light of the, you know, what we were talking about earlier with with uh, Kansas, but I mean, should that really be an issue to have, you know, this is where a lot of the money comes from to begin with is sponsorships and TV dollars. And at the end of the day, this is a business and they don't want to admit it, it's a business, but you can use that as a, for example, maybe that's one way to run it. All right. We want to pay some players and all right, well, let's get the best players to the schools where they're going to have that, that visibility. And that's where ultimately you know, the money will flow from Adidas to Kansas or to a, you know, to these guys. And maybe that's one way, way to fix it. I think the image names and likeness is a way to fix it. Are there other ways that you see that, you know, players could get paid and, and kind of keep some of the competitive balance there, you know, from a, you know, I don't think necessarily a school like Cincinnati, I think will suffer a little bit, but I don't think we would suffer as great as say a smaller school in our conference, like Tulane would probably not benefit nearly as much as a school like Cincinnati was if we were able to pay our players. Yeah. Well, I think if there was a standard, you know, if there was a standard, then it's all relative. Cause you know, Tulane is going to, I mean, I don't want to bash anybody's school, but yeah, you know, they're going to, they're going to suffer regardless. I mean, even if, if they, if, if the NCAA came out and said, okay, every player could get a maximum of, you know, $1,200 a month, you know what I'm saying? And Tulane, um Tulane I'm sure they could they could probably afford that they may uh they may have different restrictions or or whatever you know who they pay or whatever but um they're still going to face the problem of who wants to go to Tulane you still got to get kids to go there and then uh but at least if they had this standard then it would eliminate the kids saying okay I'm only go to the schools that are willing to cheat you know what I'm saying? Because if they know they're getting something, then it, it'll it'll open things up. Because they may like they like me, for example. You know, if I'm living in Dallas now, if I wanted to go to SMU, but and I need money, well, SMU's coaches aren't willing to cheat, so I need that fifteen hundred dollars a month. And UT Austin is willing to cheat, so I'm gonna go to UT. But it'll it'll eliminate that if I want to go to SMU. If the NCAA says okay, everybody can get twelve hundred. You know what I'm saying? So at least you know you're getting something. But, you know, not to say that the cheating is going to go away because UT might say, okay, well, we're going to give you the 1200 plus another two 
after that. So, I mean, not to say cheating is going to go away, but it could help eliminate some things because somebody's saying, okay, well, at least I'm getting 1200 and I don't have to risk my eligibility or I don't have to, you know, go overseas or whatever the case may be. At least I'm getting something. Then they're more apt to, you know, follow the rules and it could be more, uh, I guess, diversity in the recruiting as well because a school like, like you said, like a Tulane or whatever, now that they can offer some money, they may be able to get some guys that normally wouldn't come that they normally couldn't pay either. So, you know, but it's just time for a change. Like you said, I mean, I didn't know that number, 900 million, that's, I mean, that's outrageous. I mean, that's a billion dollars. So you're making a a billion dollars off of kids is, and they don't get, you know, a thousand bucks. It's crazy. You know, there's only 64 teams. So you're looking at, you know, roughly 700 guys, 700 players, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's crazy. Well, I think the the important thing is, sure, it doesn't eliminate cheat. It won't eliminate the cheating. There's always going to be pushing of the boundaries. You see that in every industry, not just basketball, not just college football, but businesses at large. And what it does eliminate, though, is for lack of a better word, it eliminates some of the bullshit that you see in college game and the negative connotations that you have with programs and players because of honestly just fairly innocuous transactions. Um, But I did did want to go back to the AAU experience, but really talking more about your personal experience. And one of the things I was curious about, it looks like you went to the Nike showcase and the ABCD all American basketball camps back when you were in high school. It seems timing wise, like this would have lined up with like the Carmelo Anthony's of the world and the LeBron James. Is that the case? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, the big name at the Nike one was a Stoudemire. Um, and then obviously, you know, he's, he's my class, Carmelo's my class. And then obviously the big name at, um, the Adidas one was LeBron and, uh, actually Lenny Cook. Oh, Lenny. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, LeBron's a year younger than me. And so, and I didn't know who LeBron was. Like I'm from East Texas. I'm from Tyler, man. Like I didn't really start watching college basketball till like my junior, senior year when I had to make a decision. Like I was... I just hooped, you know, I didn't watch the game unless it was NBA, you know, Michael Jordan. But um, so when I went out to, uh, you know, those camps and saw these guys, they already had a big name and, uh, you know, cameras are following LeBron around, you know, Kobe actually um, was there. Uh, he, him and uh, T-Mac actually came and Kobe talked to us uh, at, at that camp, <clears throat> ABCDS when he was still with Adidas. Um, but um I mean, it was a great experience, man. You know, and it's you know they still do the similar things now with the Jordan uh, camps and NBA camps and and all that stuff. And uh, but you know, it's a it's a good way to to isolate. Even now, like I said, because the AAU stuff is really watered down as far as there's so many teams playing. But now they have all these select opportunities and select tournaments that only the top teams can get in. So even if you're playing now, you can't get into those certain tournaments. And then you know, obviously, certain players not everybody could get into the Jordan All-American camp or NBA camp or whatever it is. So uh, college coaches really know how to, you know, zone in on the, on the guys they're really looking for. But the AU is, just, besides, you know, the number of teams, it's, it's pretty much similar in how, how it was ran back then too. So that the Adidas camp in particular, there's a documentary about Lenny Cook and his high school career and how legendary he was in the state of New York. And he and LeBron were coming up on this epic showdown at that camp. And I believe it was actually captured in the documentary. And, you know, what they were capturing was basically the fact that they were both coming for blood. 
and LeBron himself just rose his game to to another level. And now that we've seen him play for almost 20 years, it's not surprising kind of what happened in that matchup. Is the environment at those camps just hyper-competitive because of all of the eyes and and talent and people in that setting? Oh, yeah, it is, man. It's crazy. You know, um, that was my first camp, <coughs> the Adidas one I went to first. And to see, you know, like I said, I was we were at the check-in, and, you know, I see cameras following Lenny Cook around. I didn't even know who Lenny Cook was. Um, and I see cameras following him around. I'm like, who was this kid? You know what I'm saying? Like, why are, why are cameras following this dude? I didn't even know they did that. You know what I'm saying? Um, and then – and we actually had a really good team. Uh, Sebastian Telfair was on my team. Kendrick Perkins was on my team. And um, this point guard from uh, Washington, um, I can't remember his name. He played in the league for a little while with the Rockets and stuff. A short, short dude. I think he went to Oregon. Um, Aaron Brooks? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aaron Brooks. Yeah, Aaron yeah. Brooks, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Aaron Brooks is on my team. And so we actually won all our games until uh, I had to leave. I think I went to – I had to leave early to go to a Boo Williams tournament. And I think uh, Kendrick left as well. Um, and then I think uh, we were supposed to play Lenny Cook's team right before we left. Um, and, and we didn't get a chance to play him. Uh, but, yeah, and then I, but I heard about the LeBron matchup because uh, the only game – I think Lenny Cook's team might have won their division or whatever. I can't remember. But the only game that they had lost – and and we hadn't lost at all, but the only game they had lost was to LeBron's team. Um, and I think that might have been the first game that LeBron's team even won. But I, like you said, I think that game he rose to a, another level and he hit like a half court shot to win the win yeah, the game. Yeah, it, it was like a runner from the three point line or something. It was nutty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember hearing about it, and that's when you know I started hearing about LeBron. And then you know after that, after like I said, that was his junior going into his junior year, going into my senior year, then you know going to his junior year he just blew up you know his junior and senior year just it was crazy but um but yeah I mean the environment is for me I wish like I wish I could have had more of that because I didn't start playing AAU till like the, after my sophomore year in high school like I said being from East Texas and not really having those opportunities if I'd have been from Dallas or something like that I would have been playing and, and that type of stuff a lot longer I mean I played Pop Warner football first and in, in, in Little League Baseball and so um but getting those opportunities, man, it was, it was great, man. And, uh, I didn't, I didn't realize until when I started coaching AU how blessed I was because all these kids want that and it's very limited and there's so many kids out here playing, but it's, it's hard to, to be at that level. So let's, let's hear a little bit about, let's take it to the Cincinnati Bearcats a little bit. What drove you to end up committing to Cincinnati Bearcats? Like when did we get on your radar? Um, what attracted you to the university and what was kind of the selling point on coming to Cincinnati? Yeah. Um, so I, I think like after I, I went to ABCD camp, you know, um, like I had a bunch of Texas schools, uh, big 12 schools after me. Um, and then once I went to ABCD camp, it went from me being, you, you know, you know, top, I guess, 10 in Texas, the top 50, you know, in the country. Cause I, I showed out, I did well at the ABCD camp and, um, and then coach Kennedy actually was already recruiting me at UAB when I was like a sophomore junior or whatever. And so, you know, when coach Kennedy got the job, you know, the summer going into my senior year since for Cincinnati, you know, he's the one that went from UA, he was recruiting me to UAB and then like my junior year and then right before my senior year, he started recruiting me to Cincinnati. And, um, and like I said, I didn't even watch college basketball. Only schools I really 
knew about was like, you know, Texas. Because, um, you know, it's right here in Texas and UT is, you know, the big school or whatever, like Ohio State or whatever. And then North Carolina because of Jordan. Um, mm. And then, you know, Cincinnati was the other school because of the CPAW, because of the Jordan shorts. You know, it was, I mean, even in Texas, kids wanted to buy North Carolina shorts and Cincinnati shorts because of how they look. You know what I'm saying? And it was big. And I didn't even follow the school like that, but I just knew they had the cleanest uniforms. And so um, when they started recruiting me, it was, you know, it was it was cool, man. I mean, it was like one of the schools, like I said, it was Texas, North Carolina, and, and Cincinnati were like three of my favorite schools that, I, you know, thought about going to. And uh, it's funny, we were actually in, in um, Vegas uh, for a tournament, like my junior year. Uh, going into my senior year. And this is before Coach Kennedy, you know, I think was a, started recruiting me to Cincinnati. And I, uh, me and one of my friends, we're just joking around. We were like, hey, man, if uh, we were playing a slot machine in the hotel at the Caesars. And uh, I was like, hey, if I put a quarter in here and if I hit, you know, anything, I'm going to Cincinnati. And he was like, okay. And he, he's like, if I put a quarter in, if I hit, I'm going to North Carolina. I was like, cool. And, like, I just put one quarter in. It wasn't like I was playing the whole time. I put one quarter in, and, like, I hit, like, $2 or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I was like, oh, man, I'm going to Cincinnati. And this is before they were even recruiting me. Um, so that was kind of crazy. Then, then he he did his thing, and he didn't he didn't hit or whatever. But I can't remember what school uh, he ended up going to. But um, And then, you know, they started recruiting me. And then, you know, I just liked the school when I visited. You know, I liked that it was, like, at that time, it was kind of – it was more urban – you know what I'm saying? Um, still is. Yeah, still very – still an urban campus. It is, it is, but they're they're building a lot around there, man. So they're, they're uh, you know, it's – it's uh, I mean, for lack of better words, I like that when I first got there, it was like in the middle of the hood. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it was it was just different from my environment in Tyler. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I like – and then, and like I said, so um, – uh, and then obviously, you know, I liked uh, the – the tradition, you know what I'm saying? You know, Kenyon Martin, a lot of Texas boys. Like, actually, me and Max Hill played AAU together. Yeah, Huggins seems to have a – he had a nice connection to Texas. He was able to pull several recruits from that area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I already knew Max Hill. Um, actually, me and Max Hill have the exact same birthday, except he's a year older. Um, but he uh, – you know, we played AAU together, and so I already knew him. And then, you know, Kmart and Field Williams and – uh, Nick Williams and Jamal Lucas, like there was just a bunch of Texas guys. And so, you know, I liked the campus, you know, I liked, you know, the program and I felt like, you know, I could step right in and start playing, you know, in my position or any position really. And, uh, so, you know, I, I visited Oklahoma. Um, I visited, uh, Texas, uh, I stayed in SMU, U of H and, um, I was supposed to go to Texas Tech, but I, I committed to Cincinnati with, to go holler at Bob Knight. But um, obviously, <laughs> I, I, I didn't do that. But uh, I was but about yeah, to I comment on the Cincinnati man, and you know, well, you picked an intense coach in Bob Huggins, man. You could have gotten gotten another level of that with Bob Knight. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's part of the reason I did pick Cincinnati and part of the reason I was going to visit uh, uh, Texas Tech is because I felt like I wanted a tough coach. You know what I'm saying? I wanted somebody. but And at that time, I didn't realize that all of them are, are crazy and tough. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, uh, Hugs and, and Bob Knight and some of these other guys, they probably get more of a, a bad rap 
But, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're talking about, like, Patino or Tubby or, you know, Coach K. I mean, they're, they're all crazy. You know what I'm saying? They just, it's just, for whatever reason, hugs and, you know, Knight and some of these other guys get it back. But, you know, at that level, they're all – I mean, Cronin's crazy as hell. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, yeah. And he's not you – know, he's not – he doesn't look intimidating, obviously, but, you know, he's crazy just like the rest of them. Oh, we've seen the vein. We, we've seen the, the forehead vein several times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He is, man. I mean, shit, he's crazy. It's funny you mentioned the uh, the Paul and the shorts because I all the time I'm sitting here over just texting Coomer like, man, when are we getting Jordan back? Like this should be John Cunningham's number one goal is get Jordan back to Cincinnati. This is its home. This is where it belongs. This is where it got famous. We need that back. <laughs> I know, man. I know. I, I mean, I hate it, man, because my la- my senior year was the last year there with Jordan, and so I'm like, I have the only Jordan Big East jersey. You know what I'm saying? And then um then they went to Under Armour and that, that was ugly and then now Adidas is Adidas is a little bit better, but or, oh, or, or it's actually reversed. Adidas no, is ugly yeah. and Under Armour looks a little bit better. It's currently Under Armour, yeah, which is yeah, a massive yeah. improvement ugly, on Adidas. Under Armour is a bit better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah, Adidas was it was horrible, man. And especially going from Jordan to that. And, and not only was it Adidas, I'm not. It's not even about the brand. It was just the jerseys were ugly, you know. Yeah. And uh, but um, yeah, I wish I wish we did have Jordan back, man. Because like you said, it just goes with the black and red. I mean, it just it looks better in any on any other jersey. I mean, is there any way for Jamal Lucas to pull this off? We've got an in. We've got the networking. I mean, I know. I need to call him, man. He's basically like vice president over there now. You know, he's doing it. He, he's doing his thing, man. You know, I'm proud of him. I mean, he was a Jordan. I mean, I don't know if you talked to him, but, you know, when we were in school, he had every pair of Jordan. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. and he had every pair of shorts and T-shirt to match it. Like, he's a fanatic. So, I'm, I was happy when he got that job. It was like like his dream. Like, his that was more of his dream than going to the NBA. You know what I'm saying? It's to, to be affiliated with the Jordan brand. And, and, you know, I'm glad he's able to do that. So you, you arrive on campus. You said maybe when you were originally getting recruited, you're looking for that tough, that tough coach. Everyone's got a Bob Huggins story. What's it like for you as a young player in a new city, new state, playing for someone like Bob Huggins? you have any good Bob Huggins stories from practice or otherwise? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I got, a, I got a lot of them. But, um, you know, well, first I, I remember not just with hugs, just the intensity. I remember – you know, asking the players, like, man, how's practice, man? Explain it, man. Like, what, what are we going to be doing? And they were like, man, it's hard to explain, man. You just got to go through it. You know what I'm saying? It's just going to be tough. You just got to go through it. You just got to be ready. I was like, all right, man. And then uh, I remember, um, you know, after our first workout and all that stuff, man, like the next two days, me and Eric Hicks, uh, we were roommates that summer, and neither one of us could, like, walk. Like, our bodies were so sore, like, muscles muscles that I never felt like and Scott uh Scott uh, was our uh, strength trainer I don't remember Scott's last name but um I mean he did a great job and it's like it, it was crazy just walking downstairs walking upstairs to go get something to eat it was it was tough man and you know I, I mean it, it was something I never felt before with my body I didn't know I could push myself like that um uh, but one one good hug story is um uh we were, um, we were, I think, number five in the country. It was my sophomore year, and I, uh, I sprained my, I sprained my MCL, 
So we were playing, speaking of Tulane, that's, that's who we were playing. We were playing Tulane, and I sprained my MCL my sophomore year. And like I said, we were like number five in the country or whatever. Um, I mean, we were rolling. And, uh, and we were pressing. We were, I think we were number two in the country in defense, in turnovers or something like that. And, uh, I mean, we were, we were playing really well. Uh, the, the, we were pressing. The defense was good. And when I got hurt, um, it was maybe two weeks before uh, we were supposed to play Louisville. And uh, the doctor, uh, I can't remember who the doctor was, team doctor was like, well, you know, if Armin wears a brace, he may be able to play. And so this was like maybe three weeks after my uh, injury. I'm like, okay, I could tell my knee, you know, because it wasn't a tear. So I didn't have that surgery or anything, but it was a sprain. But I didn't feel comfortable. You know what I'm saying? And uh, and so the trainer told uh, Hugs that the doctor said that, yeah, he could he could play with a brace on. Um, and But I'm like, I, I'm feeling like myself, like, man, I can't play. You know what I'm saying? My, my knee's hurting or it's not hurting, but it's just I didn't feel stable. And so when practice starts, you know, the trainer's like, well, are you going to try to practice? I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm not going to practice. He's like, okay, well, just, uh, just, uh, just ride the, the bike on the side or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I'll just ride the bike, you know what I'm saying? And then Huzz comes out, and, you know, he's all, you know, nervous about the game and stuff because, you know, we're playing Louisville. I think they were ranked number six or we were ranked four. I think we were like four and they were five, something like that. Um, and, and it's, you know, ESPN game and all that stuff. And so – He's talking to uh, Dave, like, what's up with, you know, Armin? Is he going to practice or what? The doctor said he could practice. He's like, yeah, but Armin said that he, don't, he can't practice. Like, he don't, he don't feel comfortable or whatever. And then, uh, and then Hug looks at me. He's like, are you going to practice or what? I'm like, I'm like, nah, man, I'm not practicing. <laughs> like, <laughs> my knees, my knees not, it's not 100. He's like, the doctor said you can practice. I was like, I don't care what the doctor said. You know what I'm saying? My knees not, I don't feel good. You know what I'm saying? And he was like, so you just going to fucking – you're just gonna fucking ride the bike this whole practice. I was like, yeah, man, that's what that's what that's what uh, I was like. That's what Dave told me to do. He told me just ride the bike, and he was like, no, motherfucker, Dave, get this Lance Armstrong motherfucker out of here. I was like, and I just started dying laughing. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I mean, I'm sitting here riding the bike, so he called me Lance Armstrong, <laughs> and then he comes all up in my face. I'm like, dude, I'm not I'm not going nowhere, man. I'm gonna sit right here and ride the bike and watch practice. He was like, no, motherfucker. You know, you come off this bike, I'll I, I get your ass out of here. And I'm just like, dude, just get out of my face, hugs. Like, he's all yelling and shit. He wants me to get off the bike, you know what I'm saying, to do something to him. But I'm, I'm just sitting there riding the bike, ignoring him. But he's mad because I told him, like, no, I'm not practicing, dude. Like, you know, I don't care what the doctor said. You know what I'm saying? Like, my, I could feel my body. And um, I've never had a knee injury before. And I was like, I'm, I didn't feel stable. You know what I'm saying? But um, Right. But uh, and I and I actually I ended up playing that game though I ended up playing, and actually played decent, uh, off you know and I didn't practice the whole week but I I played the game a little bit because I was trying to help us and I can't remember if we I think we lost we, it was at Louisville, um and then and I played decent and then when we played them again in the conference tournament you know I played well that game too and like damn near had a triple double or something and uh. We, we beat them in the conference tournament to win conference that year and the conference tournament. And actually, when we played Louisville, I hit the game-winning shot against Louisville in the uh, U.S. Bank Arena um, the, the, when we played them the third time or whatever. But, but yeah, that was, that was one of, of Hug's stories. Uh, another story was actually that I think it was my junior year. We went to um, 
we went to uh, – we were in Memphis for the conference tournament, and uh, we lost in the first round. I don't know if you remember this, but we lost in the first round to South Florida. You know what I'm saying? They upset us. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I, I was already – yeah, I was already pissed off, right? Because, like, Hugs was fucking with me. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, we, if, we're, if we're losing, he wants me to play the whole game. But, like, if we're playing somebody who's, like, average, like DePaul, like, you don't want – you take me out for dumb shit and – or whatever, or not start me. It's like I get conference player of the week, and the next week I'm not starting because, like, I don't, you know, I just, I was hard-headed, you know what I'm saying? I just didn't go for hugs bullshit. Like, he couldn't, you know, intimidate me. Because I always felt from day one, like, I didn't, I didn't fucking need basketball. Excuse right. my French. I didn't need basketball. I feel like I'll be successful in whatever I do anyway. And so, uh, we would bump heads. But anyway, so, you know, he, I start the game or whatever, and then, like, two minutes of the game, he takes me out the game. You know what I'm saying? Because we run a play for Max. I got to throw it to him in the post, and I pass it to him in the post, and it goes off his fingers out of bounds. And, like, a minute later, uh, a minute later, I'm coming out the game. And so I'm pissed off. It's, like, two minutes of the game. Like, my my friends and stuff, um, my friends and stuff had uh, – damn, hold on a second. Hold on. Sorry, we all have technical difficulties. Mine was my my wife screaming at my sister in law in the background. And I'm like, can you go do that in the living room? <laughs> yeah, but uh, so like two minutes in the game. Um, now somebody keeps calling me, but uh, he takes me out, and I'm pissed off about it. And now now I don't even want to play. Like honestly, I was I was so mad that this that he took me out like for basically nothing. Like I was like, okay, y'all go ahead, y'all go ahead and win without me. Like you gonna fuck with me like that? Just go ahead and win the game without me. And uh, so now, like, they're, we're losing. You know what I'm saying? South, player, South Florida's hooping. Like, they got momentum. And then, you know, Hugs looks at me and is like, man, are you going to fucking play? Are you going to fucking play? And then, like, I got – there's, like, people in the stands, like, fans or whatever, like, come on, Kirkland. Come on, Kirkland. Just play for us. And I'm like – because they could tell, I guess, by my body language, like, dude, I don't even want to be here now. Like, Wow. Yeah. Like, 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 don't fuck with me and then ask me to, like, be the savior. You know what I'm saying? Like, shit, just let me hoop. You know what I'm saying? So – um, you know, he puts me back in. I'm not really engaged in the game. You know what I'm saying? We end up losing. I'm pissed off. But I'm just like, dude, you messed it up from the beginning because, you know, you should have never started messing with me. You know what I'm saying? Especially if, if I'm somebody you rely on. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you don't need me, then you could do that because you're going to win anyway. But if I'm somebody you rely on and you know that, like, why are you messing with me? And so, uh, you know, after we, we get back to the hotel, you know, f- before we get off the bus, Hugs is like, everybody, you know, you got 30 minutes to get your food. And you got a 10:30 curfew. Nobody better be outside their room, uh, or, or you're not gonna be playing on this team anymore. I was like, all right. And so I had friends like drive down from Cincinnati to Memphis and stuff. And so I had some some of my homegirls like pick me up from the hotel. You know what I'm saying? So I leave at like 10:15 before curfew, and uh, like 11:30, uh, Suleiman was my roommate. He's calling me, you know, texting me, you know, hugs that you know. <laughs> They came up here, you know, Hugs is calling me, you know, uh, I'm getting his phone call, Coach Kennedy, and then I get private phone calls, like I'm going to answer a private number. Um, and then uh, – <laughs> They tried to star 69 you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he tried, he, tried to, he tried to star 69 me. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm not – I'm just chilling, you know what I'm saying? And, um, like, I'm like, dude, I'm already mad. Like, what are you going to do? Like, I've already figured the game out, like – Dude, you need me more than I need you because I could go to any other school like tomorrow, but you can't just find another, you know, Kirkland like the sign. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, 
And so he's calling whatever. I'm out all night. Like I spend the night at my friend's hotel room and, you know, I, <laughs> and so they had to take me back to the hotel room. Cause like, my boy was like, man, the bus is leaving at like seven 30. And so he, I had to go back to the hotel room. So I, I tried to go a little bit early. I went like six 45. Um, I get dropped off. And as we're pulling up, hugs is literally sitting outside. You know what I'm saying? And he, and he sees me, you know what I'm saying? So I just tell my friend, just keep driving, keep driving. And so, <laughs> and so, you know, she drives like maybe a little bit further down and then lets me out. And I was like, well, I didn't have no choice but to walk by his ass. And so he already knew I'd been out all night. And so I just walked right past him. He didn't say nothing to me. I just walked right past him and like nothing happened. Went to my room, packed my bag and then came back and got on the charter bus. And uh, there was something and we had to actually drive back from Cincinnati. Uh, because there was something wrong with the flights or I think the president was in town or something was going on with the airport where we just was like, we're not going to wait. They just chartered back to Cincinnati. And then uh, Huzz gets on the bus and he's like, uh, if any of you motherfuckers were not in the room in curfew, don't worry about the NCAA tournament. Your season's over with. You know what I'm saying? So he's he's talking, I guess, I don't know who else he was talking about, but I know I walked past him in the morning. I don't know who else was out. I just put my headphones on and went to sleep and I just ignored it. I was like, well, Unless he tells me directly, like, I'm off the team, you know what I'm saying, and takes my shit, like, I'm not going to quit. So uh, that was, like, Saturday. So Monday when we start preparing for the NCAA tournament, you know, I show up in practice, and uh, my shit was in my locker room. So I just, you know, in the locker. So I just put my shit on like normal and went to practice, and he didn't say nothing to me. And uh, I just practiced like it was all good. And then uh, – but I, I remember, like, when we started getting ready for uh, – we were playing Iowa. And then the next day we played Kentucky. You know, we played Iowa. He was like, man, are you going to lead the team? Are you, are you going to hoop? Are you ready to play? And I'm like, yeah, man, just, you know, just let me hoop. You know what I'm saying? Just let, let's just let's do this together, whatever. And then we kind of, you know, and that was pretty much it. Like, he didn't say nothing about the situation. He just kind of, that was, I guess, kind of his, his way of seeing if we were good or on the same page or whatever. But uh, so that's another hug story. But, you know, there's plenty of them. You know what I'm saying? But that's just. You know, that was just part of it, man. You, once you figure out, you know, what what he's about and he knew what I was about, I mean, we bumped heads. But at the end of the day, like, I just liked playing basketball. Like, there was no ego about it for me. You know what I'm saying? I just liked playing basketball. I didn't, I didn't care about outshining my teammates. I didn't care about doing this so I could go to the NBA. Like, I, I was going to let the chips fall where they may. Uh We've heard this from from some other former players that, you know, not only could Hugs be, uh, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, an intense or a dick in practice, but I heard when you guys win when you're on the road that he's one of the, the nicest guys in the world, very generous human being, and lets you guys basically go ham and do whatever you want that, that night on the road. What's one yeah. of the craziest things that happened on one of those nights? <laughs> well, me, see, for me, like, you you probably have to ask some somebody else that because I was like low key man. The only thing I really did was you know I might talk to a girl that I met in the city or something or you know something like that. But like I don't drink, you know what I'm saying. I never smoked. Like to this day, I still have never drank alcohol. I've never smoked weed or anything. So like I wasn't into like you know the parties and stuff like that. You know you'd have to ask Tony Bobbitt <laughs> or somebody. <laughs> Or somebody like that, you know what I'm saying? But for me, it was nothing, you know what I'm saying? Like, the most that I would do is maybe go to a club in the city that night if we stayed overnight, if we didn't charter back. 
go to the club, kick it, and, you know, come back to the hotel. But, you know, there was there was nothing really crazy that I got into. That, that really wasn't my thing. So I'm curious. We talked to actually Ronald Allen, who you played with your senior season during that, that yeah. year Andy Kennedy coached. He alluded to the fact that I think maybe you had given some consideration to actually leaving college after your junior year. Is there any truth to that? Yeah, yeah. I thought about it. Um, I remember me and Coach Kennedy were talking, and, uh, you know, uh, there was a lot of NBA teams, you know, coming and looking at Max Seal. But, you know, but even Coach Kennedy said, you know, when they would come to practice or they came to our games, and I had a good junior year uh, before I got hurt, before I uh, sprained my MCL, I was, you know, I was hooping. Um, I mean, I was shooting like 52% from the three. You know, I was hooping like the, the first half of my junior year until I hurt my knee or sprained it or whatever. And, and Coach Kenny was like, man, they're, they're coming looking at Max Hill, but, you know, they're leaving talking about you, you know what I'm saying, basically because of your size and ability to do everything on the court and versatility. And I was like, man, so, you know, after the season was over with, yeah, I definitely, you know, entertained it. And I, and I talked to Coach about it. And they were like, man, you, you're probably going to be a second-round pick. Just come back next year. And, uh, you know, you and James could, could probably, you know, get in the first round or whatever. And so, you know, I definitely entertained it. Uh, but, you know, obviously I made the decision to come back. And then, you know, same kind of situation, you know, tore my ACL the, the day after uh, Carson Palmer tore his, which is crazy because uh, we played on we, – we were playing on Big Monday on ESPN. And so we were in uh, Connecticut um, that Sunday and we were watching the Bengals play and, you know, he tore his ACL, you know, throwing that long pass. And I remember it like, damn, man, I want Cincinnati to go far. You know, I'm not from Cincinnati, but I'm in the city. So I was like, man, I was rooting for the Bengals. You know what I'm saying? I used to kick it with Chad Johnson when I was out there. Uh, and, and me and him are still cool to this day. But, you know, that that kind of, you know, stung me a little bit. And then obviously the very next day, you know, I tear my ACL. You know, we're playing on Big Monday versus UConn. And I tear mine uh, my senior year. And that kind of derailed a lot of things. But. Uh, but yeah, my junior year, I definitely thought about it because I felt like I was—I always felt like I was good enough. You know, I—I I knew I was good enough. You know, um, but you know, I guess you know things happen how they're supposed to. It probably plays out differently in 2020 than it did back in 2004, 2005, because now I feel like second-round picks—if you were projected in the second round—it had more of a negative connotation. Whereas now it's like, hey, if I'm in the conversation for being drafted. Let's start the clock on getting in the professional levels, working on being a full-time basketball player and seeing where that can take me. So I feel like you actually would have had a better shot at making that jump and leaving college early now than you would have maybe back in 2005 as a second-round projection. Any truth oh, yeah, to that? Yeah, yeah I, I believe so, too. Um, especially, I know with my, my work ethic and my – especially, you know, I mean, I think I, think I would have made it regardless, you know what I'm saying, because – you know, anytime, you know, we played somebody like noteworthy, I always showed up like, especially at my position, you know, and we played Memphis. If you, if you go back and look at the stats, like when we played Memphis, like I lock up Rodney Carney, you know what I'm saying? He was a first round pick at my position. We, we played uh, Louisville. You Francisco know Garcia. I lock up Francisco Garcia. You know what I'm saying? Like, so anybody in my position, the only one I didn't lock up was, you know, when he wasn't really truly my position was, you know, Dwayne Wade. But I was a freshman and he was, I guess, a junior. That was more Leonard, Leonard Stokes' assignment. But, um, you know, uh, defensively, I could guard anybody. You know, I, I guarded pretty much everybody on, on the perimeter and I guarded post players. And then, 
you know, I had the skills offensively. I felt like as far as ball handling, shooting, dribbling, passing, whatever it was, I could do it. You know what I'm saying? And so I felt like I just wasn't um, – I don't know. I just wasn't all about scoring. You know what I'm saying? Like I just wasn't a selfish player. And so uh, – but I felt like I had all the intangibles to, to win games. And I think um, that that's what's most important, and that's what a, that would have kept me – you know, playing for a long time. It wasn't for these injuries. So after college, we'll kind of move past that senior season that was a whole bunch of wacky because there's there's a few things I want to get to here. And I saw you played internationally in the Hungarian Basketball League, the Australian Basketball League, and the Dubai Basketball League. Three wildly different places, but all intriguing for different reasons. Can start in Hungary. Like, how does that opportunity come about? And what's it like for someone who's maybe spent their whole life in Texas and then a few years in Cincinnati to all of a sudden be playing professional basketball in the Hungarian Basketball League? Yeah, well, Hungary actually was my last stop. And, okay. Um, Hungary, yeah, Hungary was basically like a uh, where I was at was like the country. I, I would say it's like a like it like like being in maybe like Nebraska or Montana or something. Like it was real country, and where I was at. And it was just people, you know, they're real country and foreign. Like they, I mean, they, they live very modestly. Uh, it wasn't a fast paced city, you know what I'm saying? Um, so it was basically like being in the country, just in a foreign country, but just like being in a country somewhere slow paced and, you know, it was cool. Uh, actually my first job overseas was Dubai. And obviously Dubai is like being in, I don't know, maybe LA. You right. know what I'm saying? Overseas. You know what I'm saying? And the it was like and a paid vacation. Yeah, man. It was it was like a paid vacation, man. I, I couldn't have <laughs> been more lucky. And and how that situation came about is actually crazy. Um, real quick, I'll tell you, like, so the year after I graduated, I played in the D League. And then the first week of the D League, um, after coming back from the first ACL, the first week of the D League training camp, I tore my other ACL. So then, you know, yeah, so I had to rehab all over again, you know, second ACL within less than a year. And then so I, I come back the following year and play in the D League again. And um, this time, the first time I was with the Fort Worth team, and then this time I get drafted by this North Dakota team um, and Bismarck or whatever. And then, like, I'm hooping. There was some other cats there. Uh, and um, I actually get cut. And I've never got cut from anything. And I get cut, like, the first cut. And I'm actually killing at the camp. And so I asked the coach, I'm like, what's up, man? Like, what did I need to work on? He was like, man, we just don't think you're physically ready. And uh, and I remember that, you know, see, the year before when I, I tore my ACL in the D League, you know, I mean, I, I recovered from that or whatever. And then this year when I went, they had me taking some tests with my, my legs and stuff. And I guess I just didn't do well on those tests because my, my legs weren't as strong as they need to be. And I was still having pain in my knees, both my knees. But nevertheless, I got cut. And I was shocked because even though the tests weren't, I guess, that good on the court, like, I was hooping. Like, I was killing dudes I was, you know, up against or whatever. They also got drafted. Like, there was no doubt I was better than dudes. But um, so I get cut. And, you know, the D-League at that time paid, like, $2,400 a month. And so I get cut, like, on Monday. And they fly me back to Cincinnati on Tuesday on – Thursday morning, I get a I get an email from an agent that I haven't talked to in like over a year. He just emails me out the blue. Literally haven't talked to this guy in a year. He didn't even have my phone number. He just emailed me. He was like, hey, man, what are you doing? And I was like, 
man, I'm trying to uh, get overseas. Like, I didn't know what to say. I, I didn't even know if he knew I just got cut or what. Like, I didn't even know if he knew the situation. I was like, man, I'm just I'm trying to get overseas, man. You know, I'm just chilling right now. And I was like, I'm thinking about going to the D-League. Uh, he was like, well, man, I got a job for you in Dubai if you want to go. And I was like, yeah, man, when do I got to leave? He was like, well, send me some film. And I think I think the type of player they want. I was like, all right. So I sent it to him. He was like, all right, cool. He was like, yeah, they like it. They like your film. Um, you have to leave uh, Saturday. This is Thursday. You know what I'm saying? He was like, you got to leave Saturday. And I was like, well, how much are they paying or whatever? He was like, they're going to pay you 11000 a month. And keep in mind, yeah. So if I didn't get cut from the D-League, I couldn't take this job because I'd be under contract. Because the D-League, in order to get out of their $2,400, $2,500 month contract for like six months, which equates to like $14,000, to get out of the contract, you got to pay them 25000 you know oh, what I'm saying? So, yeah, the, yeah, the contract at that time, the contract's not even worth 25000 but you got to pay like double what they're paying you to get out of it. Holding you so, hostage. Yeah, exactly. So lucky for me, I got cut. And then I remember, you know, talking to my dad like that Wednesday before that Thursday morning email came. He was like, man, don't worry, son. You know, one door closes, another one opens. And Thursday morning, I get that call. Then like two days later, I'm going to fly. So I was in Cincinnati with my girlfriend. I drove to Texas to see my daughter for like two days and then, I left out Saturday and went to Dubai and, you know, obviously made 11000 a month for the next four months. And it was way better than, you know, playing the deep for us financially, <laughs> especially at this time after two ACLs, I kind of figured like, man, if, if I was supposed to be in the NBA, I wouldn't be going through all these injuries. Let me just try to get as much money as I can while I'm, you know, semi, you know, healthy, which I really wasn't. I was feeling a lot of pain, but I was like, let me just get as much money as I can so I could move on with my life with a little nest egg. And uh, and, that, and that's pretty much what I did, man. And and so that's that's how I went to Dubai. And it was like perfect, you know what I'm saying? And and uh, and it's crazy because you know I tell people that story, and it's just like I feel like God was looking out for me. And then in the year before that, when I told you I, I the first year I was in D League, when I tore my ACL the second time, it was the third day of training camp. And so like up until I went to training camp, I had been hooping every day, working out, hooping with guys, open gym at the college in Dallas and stuff like that. And nothing happened. And at that time, I didn't have any insurance or anything. And my mom was telling me, like, hey, you're not in school anymore. You got to get health insurance. And I was like, mom, you know, I'm not going to worry about it. Like, I can't afford it right now. I'm not working. I'm just trying to get back right. And I was like, I, I remember telling her, like, you know, God will protect me. Like, I'm not going to worry about it. And, and nevertheless, I tore the ACL, but I tore it on the D-League dime instead of, like, three days prior when I was just out hooping on my own or even a month prior when I was out hooping on my own. So when I tore it again, it was on their dime. They had to pay for the surgery. I got workers comp, you know what I'm saying? I was able to rehab, do all that stuff, and, and you know, it, it worked out. So, you know, situations could have been worse than they were. And, um, you know, I feel like, you know, God definitely looked out. And, you know, I'm, I'm here for a reason. Everything didn't work out like I planned it to. But, you know, I know God looked out in a lot of ways on this journey of a uh, of basketball of mine. Did you always intend on your journey ending in Texas? You know, was that the ultimate goal is to get back to where you were from? Or kind of yeah, general vicinity? Yeah, definitely, man. Houston Rockets would have been my ideal team. Okay. Yeah, man. If I could have – I mean, and they were, you know, looking at me uh, whenever I was playing, you know, my junior, senior year in Cincinnati. Um, and I actually knew a scout personally. Actually, I knew the scout. He was, like, looking at me when I was in high school. He used to give me tickets to Rockets games and everything. Um, uh, and so, yeah, the um, Houston Rockets would have been ideal, you know. Because I, I like to sit at Houston and, you know, I like the Lajuan. You know, he won a couple championships and stuff like that when I was in high school. And, 
So that would have been ideal for me if I, if I could have got back there. Perfect world. It's you t- pairing up with Yao Ming and not Tracy McGrady. That's the perfect outcome for you. Yeah, yeah. But, but no, I, I could have played along with T-Mac, though, with man. T-Mac. T-Mac. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I used to think T-Mac was the, was the GOAT for real. I loved him a lot in uh, high school, man. I liked his game. He was smooth. Uh, I mean, 6'9", athletic, man. I like T-Mac's game. You know what I'm saying? So I would have loved to play with T-Mac. Do you keep up with the current team? You know, we've got a new coach this past season in John Brandon. Are you are you staying up to date with what's happening with the Bearcats? Not personally. Um, I know some of the the some of the friends and some of the fan, uh, Bearcat fans are on my Facebook page, and and they'll say stuff here and there about the team, uh, whether it be football, basketball, the Bengals, whatever. And I'll kind of hear stuff, and every now and then when they're on TV, I'll try to catch a game, but. Now that, man, you know, I got kids and I got a full-time job and, you know, I got an AAU program I'm running, I just don't have time, man. You know, it's just, you know, we, we got lives. And, you know, if I was in the city, I definitely would more because I'd probably go to games and stuff. But being out here, man, it's just, it's just hard to keep up with, man. I'm just I'm, – I'm too busy trying to, trying to survive. Well, I hope you can find a way to kind of reconnect eventually. I really do think that you were the way you played the game would have been like the ideal fit for the new coach and John Brandon, the way he likes playing basketball and his ideal vision for what the game is. Uh, yeah. Someone who's handling the ball, not overemphasizing scoring, but passing and setting teammates up and being able to switch on defense. Uh, I feel like I need to, I need to find a way to get the message to Brandon to say, Hey, go check out what Armin Kirkland was about ahead of his time played a style that wasn't as popular back then in terms of what you were doing at six, eight and how you played the game. Uh, he would have been a perfect fit for your team today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause hugs and I tell people this all the time, like hugs taught me a lot, but hugs didn't understand, you know, how to, um, at least in my opinion, he didn't, he didn't really do a good job of exploiting mismatches offensively. You know what I'm saying? Like hugs was like, just run the play. And, you know, most times he just wanted to get it inside, but he was like, just run the play. And, you know, whoever's open is open type thing. It's like, well, every possession, like, and this is what I'm really good at as a coach, every possession, somebody has the mismatch. Let's don't just run the play. Like every possession, let's go after the mismatch. You know what I'm saying? Uh, especially in, in, in college, you know what I'm saying? Um, the NBA, they're more versatile, but in college, there's always going to be a weak leak on the court. And so you got to figure out how to take advantage of that mismatch. And I, I would have a mismatch a lot of the times, but, you know, he wouldn't run a specific set just for me. You know what I'm saying? Just to exploit that mismatch. Um, and, and then obviously defensively, you know, he was more just defensive oriented and, and like just deep defend and rebound and we could win. But, you know, you got to be able to score the ball. And that's, that's, I think that's what we lacked. And that's why we never could get over the hump, even with having top 10 teams every year or whatever, is because of our offense. And, you know, Coach Kennedy was more offensive oriented, but obviously he wasn't the head coach. And Hugs was just more just kind of defense, and he didn't exploit the mismatch as much as uh, as we should have, I think. You know, and, and looking back on, especially after being a coach, and I've been in the game for a while coaching, I see that we could have done a better job. You know, and especially with my skill set of of exploiting mismatches. But you know, it, well, it's, I'm just it's thinking off the top of the top of my head, your junior season, the lineup was I, I think it was Max Seal and Hicks down low. And then you have mm-hmm. you and James White on the perimeter. I forget. I'm forgetting off the top of my head who was playing point guard at that time. Maybe Nick Williams. Um, Nick, Nick or Jahad. Either one of them would probably start. Right. That's a huge team. 
You know, I know, yeah. I know Eric and Jason are at the tallest, but they play incredibly, you know, incredibly big. And then on the wing, six, seven, six, eight. I mean, that's a team that should, should be able to punish teams back in the day on offense. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. And, and, you know, and I didn't, you know, he didn't have me post up enough, you know what I'm saying? Cause I always had a smaller guard on me, but you know, it's just because of the way we ran our system is like, okay, well, um, we, we just didn't, we'd always have Max Seal and Hicks in the post. And, you know, so there was no room for them to, to do much else. Um, I mean, actually, like I said, the, the, the game winner that I hit against Louisville, it was a post-up play. He actually ran a post-up play for me and I, made the shot over Taekwon Dean posted. And I think Max Seal was the one that made the entry pass, but that type of stuff could have been, you know, all season, like from my freshman year, you know what I'm saying? Um, Cause I could take bigger guys off the dribble, which I did all the time when I, especially my freshman year when he played me at the four a lot. Um, and then, you know, offensively, you know, take advantage of, of smaller guys as well. But, but like I said, every possession there, there was a mismatch and I, I probably had the, the biggest mismatch most of the time. But it wasn't like that wasn't his focus. You know what I'm saying? He didn't really key in on that every possession. And that's something, like I said, as a coach, I do every possession. I'm looking like, okay, who am I going to pick on? I don't just I don't just run a play. Like I'm, and, and we have different options to every play depending on who we're going to pick on. And, you know, I have sixth graders executing offense like you wouldn't believe. You know what I'm saying? Getting buckets because we're picking on the teams weekly. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, right. I'm telling you, it's crazy. So one of the questions we, we always like to, to ask, uh, you know, you hear – this all started from when we were doing – covering the, the preseason last year. You know, we hear players that are just awesome and just in practice are just awesome with their demeanor. They're killers. They, they're, they're always competitive. They're always pushing you or driving. And, and, you know, if you're watching the Jordan documentary, you know, who, who's the Michael Jordan – of your guys is of your when you were playing at Cincinnati, who was that player always on the court that just driving people or making making other people look silly? Um, who was that player for you? Um, uh, I mean, it was probably me in in most instances because I feel like I was the best player. So in practice, you know, there was way more freedom, and I just did what I wanted to. So I mean, none of my teammates. I mean, I mean, not they can't guard me at all, but I, I had the advantage, you know what I'm saying? So, but as far as me just, you know, like we didn't have anybody just yelling, like as far as talent-wise and, and, you know, doing what they want to, to their teammates, it was probably me, most instances. And then as far as motor, it had to be Max Seal. You know, Max Seal wasn't, you know, obviously he wasn't crossing people over and, you know, doing all that type of stuff, but he just had a motor like in practice, like when people are tired and they're not trying to go hard, it's like Max Seal still jumping on people's backs, trying to get offensive rebounds. And it's like, <laughs> dude, you know, chill out, man. Like, you know, we trying to go home and you're trying to get hugs mad because you got another offensive rebound. Now he's yelling at the defense, then box out, you know what I'm saying? And so Max Seal definitely had a motor that, that wouldn't stop in, 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 those, in those types of situations. But as far as like a Jordan, I mean, we didn't have that. I mean, even if you look at our, our stats, you know what I'm saying? Like my sophomore year, junior year, senior year, like I think Max Seal might have averaged 13, 14 points. Um, you know, Pretty me, balanced. Hicks, yeah. Yeah. Me, Hicks, James, White, all averaged around 10, 11 points. Uh, same thing with senior year. Um, like, so we never had like, you know, we didn't have a Steve Logan, you know what I'm saying? Averaging 20. 
you know what I'm saying, or Kenya Martin, you know what I'm saying? So it was more balanced, like you said. So we didn't really have that that Jordan-type guy. So speaking of crossing up, is there anybody in practice that you routinely crossed up? <laughs> Anyone we need to just put out there right now? Who who were you who were you balling back in the day? I mean, it was it was everybody really. It was just whoever you know, I, whoever was guarding me, I'm, I was gonna go at them. You know what I'm saying? Um, but you know, it was everybody, and I used to talk shit to my teammates. And I used to tell them like, man, it's not your fault. I'm a pro, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would I would just give them a little, I guess. A little, uh, I don't know the word, but, um, you know, try to make them feel a little better or whatever about the situation that was happening to them. But, I mean, I mean, it, but, you know, everybody got their turn, you know what I'm saying? Because we had a lot of good players, so it wasn't like, you know, I was playing with scrubs. You know, they, they definitely got their turn. But, I mean, you know, in all honesty, I feel like I was the best player, uh, especially when Hugs wasn't around, you know what I'm saying, pissing me off. You know what I'm saying? We're just playing open gym or – you know, just in practice or whatever, like, you know, or we played one-on-one, like, nobody's on the team is going to beat me. You know what I'm saying? It's just not happening. Now, did you guys bring that to the to the actual games? Would you talk Would you talk uh, shit to your opponents? I didn't. No, I didn't. I wasn't really a shit talker, man, and, and nobody really ever talked shit to me. I can't I can't remember of any player that that talked shit, you know, not at least not to me. But, you know, yeah, I wasn't – I wasn't that type of – that type of player and we really didn't play against anybody like that even with the good players like you know Chris Paul or D Wade or you know Francisco or whatever like I don't remember them really talking or saying anything either Francisco just had the look though you know he just he just looked in a way that I just hated that guy from the sidelines yeah. sitting at home watching on TV I'm just like come on yeah well part of it is because he was a grown man like we were both <laughs> freshmen and he was like I'm 20 he's 21 I'm 18 and we're both freshmen you know what I'm saying? Like, Francisco, yeah, look at his birthday. He's, like, at least two or three years older than me. And we were fresh. I did not know same. that. Yeah, he's old as hell. So was Lenny Cook. You know what I'm saying? So that's part of the reason why they were better is, like, shit, it's like, you know, uh, a kid that you've been in college for three years already or whatever, or whatever the case may be, and a kid that just got into college. So, you know, he was a lot older. Yeah, you're right. Look at that. Yeah, he's 38 now, born in 81. Yeah. All right. I didn't yeah, realize I'm, that at the time, but that's why the yeah. that's why the upside probably wasn't there in terms of NBA potential. Exactly. He was, as a freshman. Yeah, he was yeah, he was yeah, he was a junior as a freshman. And then so he had a good like the our first year that we played him, his our freshman year, he killed. He had a great game. But like he's supposed to be a junior. I was an actual freshman. And then the next two years, like I locked him up. You know what I'm saying? When I got the feel of the college game and the speed and everything, you know, I locked him up. But, you know, yeah, he was older than everybody else, so he was getting all this notoriety, you know. But, you know, he shit, he started college. I mean, he was a freshman. I mean, if I'd have started my freshman year at 21 or whatever, like, I would have killed too. But, um, <laughs> you know, that's just, how, that's just how it is. But like you said, that's why I think, you know, his, his it, it didn't last in the NBA because he wasn't as good as he as it seemed because he wasn't yeah. that young. Right. He had you a stretch. I mean? He had a stretch there as a decent role player in the NBA, but – I, I didn't realize, you know, when he was going to the draft, he was probably already older. So it, it, the upside, yeah. the development is not necessarily there. So yeah. Yeah. you've been really generous with your time. I don't want to take up too much more of it. I do want to say this, though, Armin. You have removed some of the, the, the shine there of Bob Huggins. He's like, he's on this pedestal for me. You know, I, as I'm growing up as a kid, I'm watching you guys play. I'm like, Bob knows best. He wasn't always 
striking the right chord. It sounds like with every player, it's, it sounds like at times he he didn't quite know how to uh, maybe connect with you at the best level. Is that yeah, fair? Yeah, that's, that's definitely fair. I mean, and, and like I said, you know, I know I was hard headed, and, um, and and obviously hugs is too. Um, and so, you know, we would bump heads and he didn't really know how to relate to me in the best way because all that yelling and screaming and, and threatening, like that didn't work with me. You know what I'm saying? That just, that just make me like shut down and, and not respond because right. like at the end of the day, like I said, I always felt like one, you know, I never had that growing up, you know what I'm saying? So I'm not used to that. It wasn't like I had a dad yelling at me going crazy. It was just my mom and, you know, she catered to me or whatever. So I didn't have. You know, I wasn't used to that. You know what I'm saying? I wanted somebody tough, but it was like, you could be tough without, you know, just going crazy. And so, um, you know, I didn't respond well to that. And then, like I said, at the end of the day, I knew that, shit, I didn't have to be here. Like, I knew the game. Just like, like I was smart enough to know my value. You know what I'm saying? Like, even with, you know, leaving that night uh, after the, the tournament loss or whatever, like, I knew – like I got the upper hand. Like I could go to another school. Okay, you don't be on your team. Like who's better than me? You know what I'm saying? That that you're gonna keep. Like you're not gonna lose me to, you know, bring a sub off the bench or whatever. So you know, I knew my value. And he didn't. I don't think he liked that either because he knew I knew. You know what I'm saying? And so we would just bump heads and like like you said. And one thing Mick Cronin did say that you know I, I thought about and it's kind of resonated with me when I started coaching. He was like, man, coaching is like being a pitcher. And the batters are, are, you know, the players. You know, you can't throw every batter the same pitch. You know what I'm saying? That's pretty much what he was telling me. Like, man, you can't treat them all the same. You got to know which, you know, pitch to throw each batter. And that's kind of what I kind of deal with and, and take heed to as, you know, my coaching career has evolved is just, you know, trying to navigate my way and, and trying to get the best out of each player. And definitely, you know, you got you to gotta treat them differently, even when it's hard. Because, you know, I think your ego comes into play. And obviously, Hug's been there for a while. He probably had an ego. Like, I'm not changing for, for no punk kid, you know, whatever. But, you know, at some point, I mean, to get the best, it's not an ego thing. It's just you're just doing your job. And that's, that's what coaching entails is, you know, being able to adjust and, and get the best out of your players, even if it means you humbling yourself a little bit because it's, it's what's best for the team. Because even Coach Kennedy, and I, I don't know, you know, Coach Kennedy might not admit this or not, but when me and Hugs would get into it in certain situations like that, you know, Coach Kennedy would be like, hey, it's 50% you are mean, it's 50% Hugs." You know what I'm saying? So I appreciate that where he wasn't like, Armin, you got you to gotta change and, you know, uh, all this type of stuff. I mean, there's, there's other things that happen that, you know, uh, that Coach Kennedy basically was like neutral. And I felt, you know, at least I wasn't in the wrong because – and he wasn't – putting it all on uh hugs either but at least he knew it wasn't all me and he wasn't trying to make it out to be like i'm you know a messed up player or whatever that's really good stuff it's really good stuff and you told a fantastic story there about i mean you just you called the ultimate bluff right the the bluff yeah. of not not playing in the tournament uh we'll see about that i'm going out tonight see you in the morning coach yeah 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 i wasn't expecting him to be, be sitting i don't think he was waiting on me i think he might just been waiting on the bus but Shit, he could have been waiting on me, but I don't think it was just happened to be, you know, it was just coincidence. He just happened to be sitting down there, like, right outside when we drove right past him. But You're, uh, you're a brave man. You're a brave man. Yeah. Well, look, we like to kind of wrap things up here with a, with a rapid fire, some Cincinnati-focused questions. Uh, I may even throw you a, a couple curveballs that we haven't asked in the past, just knowing kind of what, what your interests are. So you mind if we hit, hit a few of those and then we'll wrap this up? Yeah, sounds good. 
All right. Well, you left Cincinnati. You're no longer uh, a resident of the city. You obviously have a, a, a son here, though, that you do care about dearly. So removing him from the equation, what's the thing about Cincinnati that you miss the most? Uh, let's see. Uh, really, one of the things I love about Cincinnati the most has, has nothing to do with the school. Um, I mean, obviously, I like the school playing basketball there, but um, there's an Indian restaurant called on bar it's like Ham bar. you know what that's at yeah i live yes. right by it yes um, that's that's like that's like my favorite indian food of all time and every time i go back there me and my son go over there and eat and uh when i found out about that place i think i might have been a junior in college and i ate there like once a week until i moved away and so i and i haven't found any indian place that i like as much as on bar and uh, that's one thing i miss and every time i go back i gotta get it oh god what a pull yeah, we yeah. live. I live about a quarter of a mile from that from that restaurant, and that is a a staple in our household. We love it. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, man. Hummer, you got one? Well, that that took my next question. Favorite restaurant to eat at in Cincinnati? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that was good. that was good. I, I mean, I like the I like the other place too. It's uh Montgomery Inn. That, you know, that's that's where you know all the recruits go when they come in town, and you know that that uh that little sauce that they put with the shrimp. Oh, um, shrimp kisses. <laughs> yeah, a little, a, little, a little purple sauce or whatever. Yeah, Montgomery is good, too. This has now become a food podcast. What's our next, what's our next uh, dish? Well, this yeah. one, I mean, this one you have to ask everybody. You know, Skyline or Gold Star? Man, I don't like either one of them, man. <laughs> I don't like either one of them, man. I'm from Texas. We eat chili. You know what I'm saying? We eat regular spaghetti. So, like, that was, it was, I, I couldn't believe what they were eating when I got up there, man. Like, this is, this is not chili. You know what I'm saying? This is not spaghetti. I don't know what this is, but it's nothing I was used to. And I, I, didn't, I don't like either one of them. I've been waiting for someone to actually give that answer because I don't live in Cincinnati either anymore. I actually live in Philadelphia. And oh, when I talk to people about Cincinnati, they're like, or this, the, the chili, they're like, what, what is this? This is disgusting. Yeah. This is gross. Like, no one ever likes it at first. So I'm surprised that we haven't had that answer yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I still feel the same way about both of those places. I, I mean, I tried it once and I never ate it again, so I'm, I'm not a fan. All right, and I'm going to go off the beaten path with this last question. I'm going to move away from Cincinnati, but I'm going to take it more in the spirit of the last dance, which I'm sure you're watching, the, the documentary about the Bulls. Recently, I got into a bit of a, a, a Twitter squabble with a local, a local radio guy here. I think he does NKU games where the statement was Scotty Pippen is extraordinarily overrated. So I ask you, Scotty Pippen, properly rated, underrated, or extraordinarily overrated? I would say underrated because I don't think he got his proper rating because he was with Jordan. You know what I'm saying? But, I mean, dude is like – he was like like uh, a T-Mac, Magic Johnson – you know, LeBron, like all in Kawhi. One. Yeah. Kawhi. I mean, dude, dude is a, you know, he's obviously a Hall of Famer, top 50 player of all time. So he was just underrated because, because he got overshadowed by Jordan. You know what I'm saying? But as far as his talent, I mean, it's, I mean, dude was ridiculous. He was super athletic, smart as hell, you know, skilled. I mean, like you said, he's, I mean, to me, I think he's a, a better version of Kawhi. You know what I'm saying? But, they're close. You know what I'm saying? They're really close. But the only difference is Kawhi 
is able to have his own team. He's not playing with Michael Jordan. You know what I'm saying? Um, but uh, but no, nah, Scottie Pippen's the truth, man. To me, he he was under underrated. That's the right answer. I appreciate you saying that. I need more people on the side of Scottie Pippen. At at worst, just properly rated all time great player, one of the best defenders yeah. in NBA history. But let's face it, he's got to be underrated because all of the credit goes to Michael Jordan. Like he gets everything. Exactly. Michael Jordan is given all of the praise, including this documentary. Shout out yeah. to Scottie Pippen. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. I agree with you. So uh, our final sign-off here, we let our guests dedicate the podcast to a former Bearcat, player, coach, trainer, whoever you want to dedicate it to, you're able to dedicate this podcast to whoever you like. Uh, I'll, I'll dedicate this podcast to uh, – I'll dedicate it to, let's see. trying to think man um it's that's tough that's tough i i i got a lot of great bear cat friends um i honestly i wish i knew the the, the names of the workers in the stands because if i'm gonna dedicate to anybody like the people that work in the stands that you know every every game day that they were there and they were like real supportive like win or lose they pat you on your back and and make you feel good about yourself um, and they're still there. Even years later, I'd go back and see some of the same faces and they're still smiling. Like I'd, I'd want to dedicate it to the, you know, the Bearcat, um, game day workers, man. They, uh, they definitely had an impact on me and they probably don't even know it, but they did just because of how they would, uh, how they would treat us, you know, regardless of win or lose, you know, losing, you know, hugs is cussing us out. So, you know, it's not going to be hugs, but obviously, uh, Win or lose, you know, those those workers that were there, man, they'd, they'd be there after the game. We came out the locker room and, you know, good game, Kirkland. And, you know, that that, that meant a lot. So I, I dedicate to those guys. Oh, that's fantastic. Perfect dedication. We appreciate it, Armin. Thanks again for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast. No problem, man. Good talking to you guys. You too. Thanks.